the inner workings of the mind are chaotic in our daily lives and perhaps even more so in our podcast. There's the intended structure of the discussion, and then there's that X factor that comes forth in the often tangential and sometimes unexpected turns of our discussion. It's from those wayward conversational twists that I think the most meaningful piece of our podcast comes forth. We are first and foremost friends united under the umbrella of our passion for gaming. Second, we all want to share that passion with you guys, our audience of listeners. I hope that if anything comes across, it's that we want listeners to engage in this passion with us and add to our growing discussion. But the other piece that comes through as part of that passion is that we often surprise ourselves and find unexpected controversies and questions to wrestle with. In this week's episode, we try to determine if board games actually bring us closer together. I believe they do, and historically I can say they have for me. I hope they do for you as well. Let's get to the episode and learn more about the ways games bring us together or even push us apart as Hosue and I talk about the social aspects of games. Welcome to Rolling for Change. My name is Woody Harris, and I am joined by my ever-loving co-host, Josue Cardona. Hey, Woody. Hello, everybody. Hey, Josue. Let's get to talking about some games. I, I, I've been so excited by so many things this week, and uh, you know, not the least of which is Star Trek Discovery, but we're here to talk about games, so let's, let's do that. Uh, our, our theme today, of course, is how do games bring us together? Um, but nothing is more telling than talking about the games that we're playing and the impact that they're having on us. So let's have a start there. What what have you been playing? What's what's making a difference in your world right now? So I, I've talked about this game in the past a lot, but I've I've gotten back into it. This game called Monster Hunter, and it I knew it was going to be Monster Hunter. Man, I can't. I I love this game so much, and and the reason. It's all about mastery. I've brought this up in the past, right? I, mm-hmm. I think I even mentioned that I made a T-shirt um, on the <laughs> that we're even selling on the on the Geek Therapy merch store. It says Mastery Hunter, and I've been so obsessed with this idea that I bought MasteryHunter.com last week. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do with it, <laughs> but I'm obsessed with this idea. And and it's so funny because I've played, I've played I don't know 180 hours at this point, and I'm playing with a friend of mine, uh, Zach, who who's on our stream team, and he he's played just as many hours and as we're playing we all have these questions about the game it's like if i use this ingredient for this thing like does it do this and, we're, and usually the answer is i have no idea i don't <laughs> know and the joke is how can we collectively have 400 hours in this game and not know the answers to some of these simple questions and it's just again that pursuit of mastery that that i that i'm experiencing in this game is it just continues and there's 14 different weapons in the game and I only know how to use one effectively. So basically I could spend another 200 hours trying to master each and every one of these other weapons. It is, it is, it is just a wonderful experience for me. Uh, but something, something newer that I think is, is really cool. Uh, are you familiar with battle Royale games or this concept? Well, yeah, Fortnite is, is kind of one of those and there's a mm-hmm. Minecraft edition too, right? Uh, I, I think there's a lot of there may be a mod for Minecraft. I don't I don't know for sure, but there are definitely a lot of uh, battle royale games that are that are coming out. And 
I, there there are battle royale tabletop games too. I haven't played any of them. Um, I haven't even seen them happen. Uh, I don't know exactly how they work. <laughs> I looked at it a, a little bit, but uh, this week there was a brand new Tetris game called Tetris Ninety Nine, mm-hmm. that is a battle royale game, and the way it works is that you when you when you log in you say okay start game and then you wait to be queued up with 98 other people 99 then, i get it now okay yep and then what you see on the screen is in you see your uh game area right in the center and then you see mm-hmm. tiny versions of all everybody else's all around you <laughs> and then you're playing tetris the normal way but then you can attack any other person that you choose so you can with your with a with a joystick select someone anyone around now you don't know these people's names you don't know who they are you only sure. see a miniature version of their game so if you see somebody that's about to lose you can move over to their side and every line that you make attacks them and so everybody is attacking each other to try to be the winner the last one standing and it is such a, a i don't know a cool variation on the battle royale genre and i don't know i think something that i like about battle royale is that you're you're playing these games with so many other people so you don't feel like you're playing alone even if you are alone and even even though i don't really enjoy uh, playing against other people i i much prefer cooperative experiences in in all gameplay types this Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's it's cool because there's you don't know who's there. You just know that there's someone there, and right. it's very quick to just proceed. And it feels good to say, I don't know. Usually, sixteenth place doesn't feel great, but this week I was you know sixteenth place in a game, and I was like, yes, that's awesome. That's like out of nine, yeah, that's a pretty big deal. Yeah, out of a hundred, that feels really good. Even fifty out of a hundred, it's like, whoa, well, um, it's like more than half of the people, and and so so that's that's a, a game that just came out. I've played it a little bit and I've been thinking about it a lot because it, it, it really feels like it, obviously it's combining a very old game with a new trendy genre and put mm-hmm. together, it feels very new. And I like the, it made me think a lot about, you know, what, what games can be and, and what kind of games we'll, we'll continue to see in the future. So what's the platform that you're playing it on? Oh, that game released exclusively on Nintendo Switch. Ah, there we go. Okay. Yep. I don't know if it's coming anywhere else, but at the uh, right now it is on Switch and it's free for anybody who has the if you if you have a Switch and you pay for the online service, it's free for everybody. Okay, I think I need to go check that out. Mhm. Um yeah, I was just thinking that Battle Royale, so that probably the earliest version of this is probably King of the Hill that we played when we were kids. Yeah, yeah. You got to you got to be the only one standing on the hill basically. So, uh, I don't have any video games in my in my uh, thing to talk about. I, I really would like to get back some video games. But last weekend was Gamorama, which is four days of gaming, uh, tabletop board gaming. And uh, it, it's one of three that our, our local uh, director of board gaming does, uh, Ward Batty. We've talked to him before on the podcast. Um, and I got to play some games that I... Uh, had really been wanting to play. And the first of those games is called Kanban. K-A-N-B-A-N. It's a stronghold game uh, done by Vidal Versura. And uh, Vidal, uh, he's really known for making really crunchy, complex games. 
Um, so this is a high-complexity game. It's a worker placement game in which you are piecing together the parts to make um, to make cars. Because Kanban is, is the Japanese word for billboard, basically. And I'm not sure how that plays into this whole idea, but it it's a style of making cars that uh, the Japanese are known for. And so your your job is to roll these cars off of the uh, conveyor belt and get them out to the test track. And once you get them out to the test track, you can score points based on your ability to have made, you know, the red car use engine X and do such and such. And then the boss, Sandra, comes by and she says, oh, I see you've done very well with that. Tell me about your project. And she gives you points for your project. There are two ways to play, and we only played the first way, which is nice, Sandra. Uh, there's the other side, which is mean Sandra, in which she does a lot of critiquing and doing terrible things, like just by taking points off or causing you problems because you didn't do this, that, or the other. Um, it's a really long game in the sense that you, the learning curve is, is pretty high. You spend a lot of time on the rules. But once you got the rules, the game is pretty simple except the complexity is in how do I manage my workers so that they get to the workshop they need to be in because it's worker placement, which means your your placement of your worker is limited. So if somebody else is already in the workshop that has the shift that you want, so they get three shifts and you only get two shifts, then you're going to have to do something to get more time to work in that workshop in order to actually make more parts to make more cars, et cetera, et cetera. It's funny, when you mentioned Kanban, I was like, wait a minute, I think I've played that game before. So I Googled it, and then it, yeah. it comes up as, Kanban is a scheduling system for lean manufacturing and just-in-time manufacturing. There originally, it is. Originally implemented at Toyota. And that's where I know it from. There's this app that I used to use called Kanban Flow, and it's mm-hmm. uh, it was like a, a scheduling and like task management app that I really, really liked. Uh, I used it. I used it for a long time, and it's so funny that I was like, "I think I've played that game before." No, I've I've done real life Kanban, <laughs> but that's so cool that it was uh, that the game takes those those same ideas and principles into it. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's 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 really complex, and we were. I mean, like I said, it took us a long time to get the rules because I played it before, but I didn't have enough play in it to kind of get it, and uh, the other people playing had never played so. I wasn't much of a teacher, and they're reading rule books, and we're trying to get somebody's watching Rado runs through you. We're all try to work work at getting an understanding of this thing. I think it took us two hours to get it off the ground, but when we finally did, it probably took us about two and a half hours, three hours to play, and uh, it was just a really good worker placement experience because you have to manipulate a lot of different variables, and and there's you know there's a lot of puzzle that you're working on, like how do I get ahead of person X in order to make sure that I'm going to get there before they do. Um, a lot of forward thinking and trying to get things together. I didn't win, actually. Um, one player who was the one who seemed to act like she knew at the least just smoked us all. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a really fun game uh, and a lot of fun to uh, to get it back to the table after not having played it for about two years. Uh, the other one that I got to play is also a similarly long game called Tricarion. Tricarion mm. is another worker placement game. You might find that I probably have uh, a lot of love for worker placement games. But Tricarion, you are a magician in the Victorian era, and you are trying to prepare your tricks in order to get them ready to go on stage, and you make points by doing your tricks on stage. 
Um, and you have, so you have to go to the shop and buy parts to your tricks. You have to go um, and elicit uh, help from other people. You know, you need assistants who are going to be flashier, managers who are going to help you score more points by getting you into the right venue at the right time. Um, and you have, uh, there's another place you have to go to learn the tricks. You know, you're kind of like watching other people do tricks and each person has their own magic book. Their magic book is full of the kind of tricks that they do. Um, I was a, um, mind reader. That was my primary trick modality. And I had to learn how to do all these different mind reading tricks to sort of, uh, catch people and uh, on stage and get the more points for catching people on stage that way. Um, I played it with a person who is the second foremost magician in Atlanta. <laughs> so that what? was perfect theming. What? <laughs> that was perfect theming to, theming to be able to do that. And it gave me ideas for future episodes because I how also did, How did played... that happen? <laughs> He's a gamer. Um I was looking at Tricarion and said I wanted to play it, and this guy walked up and said, well, that's my copy. I'd be happy to teach you, and we set up a time to get together and play. Then I didn't learn that he was a magician until after I'd sat down to the table. That's like if you brought that touching, feeling something game to to, to a convention. Touching, feeling, seeing, doing, or something like that? No, no, no. Uh, what is it? The, the, the one, the therapy oh, game. Oh, uh, are you thinking of Bad Habit? No, 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 not bad habit. Um, we've talked about it in the past. It's like, is it the? Uh, there's, there's a game that's very typical among therapists. Uh, I think touching is in the title. Now that I think about it, it's like the the thinking, feeling, doing game, something like oh, that. Oh, I don't even think I know that game that well. Oh, but I, I, yeah. it's out there. I know. Yeah. Well, anyway, it's like if you brought that to the gaming convention, it sounds like <laughs> it's like I'm a magician. Here's my magic game. Yeah, well, I mean, we were at the convention and we played Bad Habit, and then we were playing a therapy game, and I'm a therapist playing a therapy game. Uh, so, just a little piece of synchronicity that happened in this con the night before. I played Teach You with someone who I'd, I'd played games with him before. Uh, didn't realize that he was a a dealer in uh, in a casino, um, but then during the game, I learned that he was a magician. And he huh. showed me a ton of amazing card tricks. Watching his sleight of hand was just fantastic. Like, I've never seen it up close like that. And I'm doing my best to try to find out where where is he doing the slips in his cards. I couldn't figure it out, but he yeah. could always do these amazing things. So I, I got this realization that maybe there's a a conglomerate of magicians that are in the gaming community. And I want to see what that connection is sometime in our future episodes. So oh, it was man. just a lot of exciting synchronicity going on and a lot of good ideas came out of being at the convention. Do you think they cheat a lot? <laughs> we'll have to That's ask what them. <laughs> That's what I want to know too. Did you just trick me into playing that hand? Actually yeah. for the, for the one the night before, not that I was good at the game or anything, but I did beat the guy who was playing me, and so uh, if he used sleight of hand, he didn't use it well, or he used sleight of hand to, 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 kind, of, to kind of lull me into a sense of uh, uh, security that I may need, maybe shouldn't have. I don't know. Because <laughs> we were playing Teach You, and I don't really know Teach You that well, but he uh, did a better job of teaching it to me than other people have teached it, teached it, taught it to me. <laughs> um, it's a trick-taking game that's uh, really more complex than most trick-taking games I've played. So those those are the things. I mean, there's there's a ton of things on my radar right now. But those are the two biggest games I played last weekend. I played a lot of other games. Um, I certainly didn't get to play all the games I wanted to play. 
Um, it's kind of hard in the midst of a convention when you see, you know, some 200 games on the wall that are things that you wanted to play and you just can't get to it all. It's just not possible. Do you usually show up with a list of games that you want to play? I did this time. Okay. <laughs> but I only played two games I wanted to play. What? <laughs> the rest were all just kind of surprising and, oh, look, here's this. Oh, look, here's this. Gotcha. So there's some, there's some really cool moments. Um, but those were the two that stood out to me because those were ones that I Kanban wasn't even on my list because I have a copy myself. But mm. once I saw it on the table, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll play Kanban. It's <laughs> <laughs> cool. So um, that's been kind of what's on my mind. And it's kind of good to talk about the convention itself because today we're talking about how games bring us together. And I can't think of a hobby that I have that has been more community building than mm. being a tabletop board gamer. Yeah. Um. So just real quick, the genesis of this idea that I had, I was listening to a podcast on the Geek Therapy Network. Uh-huh. Uh, I think it was, uh, I'm pretty sure it was Starship Therapies. And they were talking about, it was around Thanksgiving, and they were talking about how uh, our things that bring us together, basically, is kind of the, the message that they were talking about. And they were in this case, they were talking about how Gremlins was a story of bringing people together. Yeah. In this case, particularly Gremlins 2, which I thought was a, an odd choice, but they did it. And <laughs> it's it the worked. better of the two movies. <laughs> Do you think so? I like I I enjoy it more. I don't I don't I don't know that either one is better than the other, but it's definitely my favorite. <laughs> it's been forever since I've seen it, and so I didn't even see it with them when they were doing going through it. I had just seen Gremlins uh, <laughs> recently because we're kind of getting ready for Christmas kind of thing. Yeah. But um, I had not, I had not watched Gremlins too. But so that happened, and then at the same time, I had this idea that I wanted to use games to bring my family together. So I introduced the idea of getting together with my sisters and playing games with them. And we've now made a regular uh, game gathering, maybe once every month or two months, that we're going to do where just me and my sisters get together, which is something we haven't done in a very long time, maybe since we lived in my parents' house. So it's kind of exciting because we've all kind of gone our separate ways and things are very different. Yeah. So these two things kind of brought together this idea of, well, I know from an internal sense that games, particularly tabletop games, bring us together. They, they build social communities. But I didn't know that... Uh, you know, there, there's probably more here than, than I've been able to suss out in just being a player. So I wanted to do some research. I wanted to talk to you and, and Brian. Unfortunately, Brian can't be here uh, about this idea and uh, kind of get into the social aspects of what being a board gamer, you know, there, there are social skills we build. There are things that happen at the gaming table that maybe we miss in other arenas of our daily life. And uh, somewhere in the midst of this, I want to have what I think is a perfect conversation with you, or a, a perfect argument with you, which is this uh, idea of whether or not tabletop games do something different than uh, than uh, video games, and what the pros and cons are of each kind of thing. Hmm. So that that's where this whole idea came from, is... It all, you know, kind of these interlinking things all happened at one time. That seems to be a theme for Rolling for Change is that things interlock at one time. But uh, so that's 
that's where I kind of want to head and talk about the, the social aspects of our gaming hobby. I'm curious, uh, have you done the game nights yet with your sisters? I did one. How'd it go? It went really well. Okay. So it, it kind of brings us into the discussion of what the social aspects of gaming are. Because I, So not to be too autobiographical here, but uh, my sisters and I don't get together very often. And we all have very different points of view, I believe. Hmm. Um, we're not, mostly we're not on the same page politically. We uh, don't have agreement about uh, things within our family. And uh, so, and I, I do connect with them. I do love them very much. And I, I like spending time with them. But our, our paths have taken such completely different directions that there's nothing that brings us together except for a family gathering. So, and family gatherings can be kind of stressful because, you know, this is kind of made clear on the Starship Therapies episode because everybody has their own sort of way of being and that shows up at the Thanksgiving dinner table because well we're we're sitting at a table and we're talking we're not we're not engaged in our in our media and we're not you know mostly we're trying to be interactive with one another but we haven't done this on a regular basis we haven't practiced our social skills and we certainly haven't practiced holding our tongue when we need to so um, it just seemed like gaming was a perfect way of interacting with my sisters so that we could kind of rebuild our relationships, which I'm, I'm not good at that with family. I've, I've kind of distanced myself from family over the years. So I, I think it went well. It has its pros and cons, and I, I can talk a little bit about that as we go on. But I think going forward, it will do something different to our relationships, and I would encourage anyone who has family that they are estranged from, that if they are board gamers, I really believe, or if they can be brought into the board game hobby, I really believe that it will do something to increase their social capacity with one another. Yeah, I hope this doesn't derail your point too much. But, <laughs> but when, when I think about my own family, I don't remember ever coming together for the purpose of playing. Yeah. But I believe maybe some members of my family did my grandfather, some of my uncles. Like, I can see that they, when there was a family gathering, they were thinking, oh, great, we get to play cards. Yeah. Somebody's coming to play cards. I'm excited about that. And I think it had a lot to do with how they, they they weren't much for conversation, you know? If they, yeah. if everybody, like, I I would rather just talk. You know, I'm, I'm a talker. I could talk all night bring up whatever topic and I'll, I'll, you know, I like to have deep, thoughtful discussion. I'll, I'll talk about mm -hmm. anything. And, and I enjoy that, but I know other people do not. And I remember people in my family being that way. And, you know, the whole family's there and they're just sitting there and they don't care. They just want to turn on the TV to do something different, but they would absolutely play. They wanted to play. And, mm -hmm. and so I don't, at least in my case, Games never really brought my family together, but they definitely made, which is I think one of the points you're making, that it made family time uh, tolerable, enjoyable, maybe even accessible to some of the people in my family. And I, I'm assuming it's like that for, for many, many people. Like if you have difficulty communicating, like queue up a game and maybe maybe it'll be better than just staring at each other or, you know, watching TV. I, I think that's that's the answer because 
when I'm thinking about what a board game does, okay, so I, I'm kind of going to get into these aspects of the social aspects of gaming. When I have gone to conventions, which I think is, I think of almost right now as kind of a, a family gathering of sorts. You know, this is my board game family, and I have friends there that I only see there. Yeah, which is sometimes a little sad, and sometimes it's it's totally par for the course. But what I can say is that I know that there are people from all different spectrums of life, and we can sit down to a board game together, and that we suspend that piece of our life, unless the board game is calling attention to that piece of our life, we suspend it completely and engage in the rules of the game, and we interact through the through the rules that exist. We like the, Here's the channel in which you're going to, to have discussions. You know, your discussions aren't going to really be about the politics of the world or the things that need to be fixed or anything like that. They're going to be about, um, I'm going to make this car better than you. You know, and so it gets kind of to, um, uh, there's a structure that's limiting you to a certain stream of discussion, but yet you're building a bond over that stream of discussion. And it's not to say that these external realities can't make themselves known through the guise of the game, but... I think for some reason that once we sit down to the table together, we've already agreed we're going to have a competitive or cooperative experience that we're going to do together as a social activity. And I know for my part, there are things where I censor myself purposely because I'm going to make this board game experience a good experience for all of us. And I can't imagine that's not true for everybody else. So when you get down to that limited set of rules that guides your hand in, in making discussions with one another people. I, I think it's it's like good crutches for people who are having trouble in a social situation that might otherwise be conflictual. So it allows for interaction that might have been lacking because you had nothing to bond over in the first place. You know, I hear you saying, well, I, I'm a real talker. I really like to interact with people, but I think you're right when you say that some people don't do that very well. Some people just can't get together in a circle and talk without having some means or shared goal to interact with and talk about in order to connect with one another. And I think that's what a tabletop board game can offer. And for that matter, I could say that for a, a video game because I'm, I'm sure that when you're live on a video game and you're on the headset and you're talking to one another, that's also kind of fitting into that same way of seeing things. Can I start comparing now? Or do you if want you to? Want to. <laughs> sure. I mean, <laughs> uh, um, most of my memories of my grandfather are us playing either cards or dominoes together. And I remember we couldn't really talk at the table because he played the game very seriously. It wasn't a casual experience. The And, and I don't know, the, the these games um, that we played were... And it was always the same two games. It was a, um, a game, uh, a card game with a Spanish deck of playing cards. And it's a, it's a game very similar to Euchre, right? If you okay. play that. And uh, it's like a typical Spanish game called Briscas. And, and we, it's very common in Puerto Rico. And then we'd play dominoes. And, but the way we played, like you had to focus. If you started talking, you would, you would lose track of, of the pieces and, and what had been played. And you'd lose track of strategy. So it was, 
discouraged to to talk because I, I remember being scolded a lot by my grandfather about like how I made a bad play or I didn't do something right. And so when we played, we played. And sometimes, I mean, it was usually in the middle of a big family gathering because we never just got together to play these games. But right. when we when this happened, like it was it was the game or the conversations, interactions with the family. But it it, it could rarely be both. And for at least for me, when I play video games, it's so many of the things that you have to keep track of on a physical board game are mm-hmm. taken care of for you by the digital game. So you can focus on certain things and still have those conversations. So I have a lot of games that I play, including Monster Hunter, where we all know exactly what we need to do and we know the strategy and we're following it, but then we can also talk about our day or, or work or a movie that we saw. And with and it's easier than many of the the board games I've played, especially a really complicated board game where you're you know, you're managing multiple systems at, at once. And at least that, that's what I was thinking now when you were when you were talking about that. So you, you talked about mastery earlier in, re, in regards to monster, monster Hunter. And something I was thinking about is, so what, the way you played Monster Hunter, or the way you're saying you play Monster Hunter now, is Monster Hunter becomes a backdrop for a social situation mm-hmm. as opposed to being the forefront of the activity. Mm-hmm. And I think with your grandfather, mm-hmm. it sounds like it was the same. It's, it's, it's the forefront, not the backdrop. Yeah. And I talked to therapists about this because I, I kind of I've, I've tried to kind of help people understand how to write good notes related to using board games in therapy. Mm. And and one of the things I say is that you talk about using the game as a backdrop for your interaction, so yeah. that there's always something to turn back to. But there's this almost like dual processing thing going on where you can separate your attention from the two activities. And as a result, minimize the amount of conflict that happens in the forefront activity by using the board game in the background activity. Yeah, I like to tell people about that. There's a scene in the office where the HR guy just brings out a deck of cards and is playing with with Michael, and mm-hmm. he gets him to talk about his feelings. And <laughs> it's the game is very much the backdrop, right? But it's it was the mechanism that he used, and it was a I don't remember what what game they were playing. It may have been something like blackjack, right? Um, like if you you can casually play blackjack, right? And it's no it's no big deal. Um, like with kids, I use Uno a lot, right? Because there's not a lot of thinking involved in Uno, and yeah. so it definitely serves as a as a backdrop versus. And and like I would never bring like a like a, like terramistica into therapy because <laughs> would we'd have to schedule a few hours first of all and it would be like I don't think we'd get much talking done <laughs> because and and I don't know is that do you when you play with with friends or family do you get to like have conversations did you or even with your sisters did you get to like you, obviously you spent time with them and you shared an experience. You may have even bonded over some of the experiences in the game, but did you did you catch up at all while you were playing? Were you able to do that? No, and here yeah. that's that's kind of the negative of the process is that, um, I guess, and maybe maybe it's a matter of you have to pick the right games in order to do that because some games may lend themselves more towards a very narrow channel of discussion, and some games may lend themselves yeah. towards a very wide channel of discussion yeah 
and I haven't taken the time to kind of piece that together. I, you know, I'd gone out there and I kind of had this idea. I had these games that I thought were potentially really great social situations that would encourage communication with one another. But the way we did it instead was each person picked a game. Um, and, and that was that worked out pretty cool. We had a good time. But I wouldn't say that we learned a lot about each other. But I also I have to be aware that this is our first time doing this. So I would like to give yeah. it some time before I'd say, you know, it's, this is almost like preamble to something that may be coming in the future where it's like, you know, for lack of a better term, this is a terrible term to use in this case, but I can't think of the right term. It's foreplay. It's foreplay for a better social relationship, but we're not there yet. You know, we're not to the point where we can talk about things. You know, I, some of the things I'm, I'm sure we need to talk about relate to our family and our family dynamics. And I can kind of hope that those games are going to bring us over into that realm and and look for games that might do that. But we're at the beginning stages of this process. If it's going to actually work that way, I first have to sort of let the preamble play out. You know, it's it's funny because if, if a, a friend calls me up and it's like, hey, do you want to hang out? I'm like, yeah. Do you want to go watch a movie? No. Because that's not, that's not, we're just sitting there staring at a screen and we don't, at least I do not want anybody talking to me while I'm watching a movie. So, so I would, that, that's not my choice. Sometimes I haven't seen my dad in a while and sometimes he's like, oh, I'm going to come visit. Let's go to the movies. I'm like, dad, I'm only have you for like two days. I don't want to waste three of those at the movies. And but so I'd much rather either have lunch with a friend mm-hmm. or grab a coffee or something like that because then. Like a, a meal for a family is like there you can talk right even even if your mouth is full and it doesn't matter right you can <laughs> right there's there's a that's a very you don't need to think about eating right you can you can have a conversation but yeah I think I think that some games for me are like are like that like watching a movie or you know like maybe watching a game right I remember watching games with families like that, a football game or yeah, a baseball game yeah that kind of like that's just happening in the background you don't have to pay attention to everything there's always you know there's somebody who's like watching every single play and right like and, and then they, they for the most part they make people are just, ex- expletives when things go wrong and they yell when things go yeah. right yeah yeah <laughs> but I don't know I think I think it does depend on the game I think there are some games that it's easier to do that maybe I don't know something like Jenga, for example, right? Like sure. I think that's a game where people can really talk, and then one person at one point is focusing, and you're kind of paying attention at what pieces you want. You know, you, you might want to do next, but you're not like you can still have a conversation around Jenga. You know? Yeah. So we're almost talking about games need to have kind of a minimal footprint on the social reality that we're in involved in, and the more maybe you know Trickarion. Kanban, maybe those games are that's really deep involved and, and there's not as much to even discuss. Whereas Jenga, as you say, it's it's an activity where it's like I pull, I put, and we can kind of talk in the process of this. I can even kind of pause in the middle midst of the game and say something, and it doesn't have any impact on whether or not we keep keep the game going. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on the relationship you want to have too, because I don't. I'm not sad about the relationship I had with my grandfather. I think that if we hadn't played, we we'd have no relationship. Yeah. So we actually did bond over that, and and I'm sure there were times, you know, I'm speaking in general terms that we really didn't talk about anything, but I remember him, you know, 
respecting me a little more because I was I, I got better at the game, you know, or we won against yeah. my uncle and my cousin, and and that led to better interactions afterwards. But that that's you know that's a very specific relationship that we had. I wouldn't necessarily want that relationship with anybody else, honestly. But I don't regret that relationship. Sure, and and maybe you know to, to your point about going to the movies with your dad. Um, there's a few things that kind of crop up for me there. First off, a movie or a, any kind of video you're watching together is a shared experience, even though it's maybe not a direct interaction with each other around. You know, if you have gone through, um, you know, uh, the the most recent Avengers movie together, you've gone through something. You've yeah. definitely had an experience together, even if you didn't talk about it. And you may end up talking about it later on. And that becomes the guise through which or the channel through which we manage to develop a discussion. So I guess all these things, every all these different types of media can be a tool towards developing social interactions, basically. You know, it, it has something to do with time management, too, right? Like, like if I only have 24 hours with my dad... I'd rather mm-hmm. he watch the movie on his own time and I'll watch a movie on my own time and, <laughs> and then we can talk about it. you guys it. come together and talk about it. Yeah, then have the three hours. Like, we don't have to sit there together. I mean, and I say this because I've told my father this many times, but my father, and, and the grandfather I'm talking about is my father's father. So in that sense, they, they are actually probably very similar in that I know how much my father loves to have that shared experience. Mm-hmm. He would He would love to just come visit and spend you know, 18 of those 24 hours sitting in a movie theater with me <laughs> and just, yeah. you know, sometimes glancing over and saying something and then talking about the movie afterwards. And our relationship right now is built primarily on, on those type of experiences where we talk about the TV shows that we've watched or the movies that we watch. We're always recommending things to each other. We're looking forward to things that are coming out. And after they, they happen, we, we talk about them. And, you know, we don't live close to each other, so we don't see each other very often, but we, we speak often. And what we, what we talk about is the movies and the TV shows that we watch. And I don't know, I guess, I mean, that's, that's just the relationship that we have with other people. That's not the relationship we have. I mean, you know, I live with my girlfriend. I'm, I'm with her all the time. So when we sit down and watch something, it's quality time. I don't feel like it's taking away from the time because we'll, we'll still have, more time afterward. Yeah, but there's a limit on the time with your dad, yeah. so that, that makes it... But, you know, I was just thinking about this, and, and we're way off the map here, but... Uh, <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. I, I think it's awesome. Uh, we, If you think about a, an activity like going hiking with dad, and maybe that's not something you could do. It, it's certainly not something that I've done in a very long time, but that can be a very nonverbal situation in which you're both pitting yourself against the elements you're both working towards a a similar goal but there's not a lot of discussion because most of it's huffing and puffing and trying to get up through these challenging places that are physically demanding sometimes i don't shut up when i'm hiking i just i don't stop talking (laughs) (laughs) so just apropos of what you're talking about most of my time with my dad was spent in silence Hmm. that was his (laughs) That was his way of spending time was in silence. We didn't talk about anything. Um, but getting back to, I, I guess, games are very similar in uh, to the media. They're similar to hiking. They, they provide this channel for experience that doesn't necessarily require a lot of extraneous information to come in. 
I know that if Brian were here, he would say that games for him is a means of communicating with other people. And he plays games very casually, even though he plays very deep games, because he likes the social experience of it. I think it's a big part of why he doesn't like Time's Up. Brian, I'm talking for you. I appreciate that you're even listening. Um, <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, there's no breaks in between. You got to just keep going. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so it's, I can see that part of things. Like I can see, you know, if I go to a, like the the story of my gaming experience is that if I wanted to interact with somebody, if we put card down, cardboard down between us, we could interact and I wouldn't be nearly as nervous as I might be if I'm just trying to generate discussion points on my own. So I, I like this yeah. quote uh, real quick. This quote comes from an article I'm reading uh, called Learning with Games from uh, Rafi Hromick. Uh I'm not sure if I'm saying it correctly. But he says, Every face-to-face game, no matter the objective, provides a social experiment in which all players must use self-regulation and social skill to play successfully with others. And so we haven't really talked about taking apart the experience yet of what it is a game does. But some of the social skills that I kind of recognize that it does on a regular basis and things that maybe strengthen our social bonds, our social emotional learning curve, if you will. Um, We're regulating negative emotions because typically we're trying to manage the feelings of failure or success in the game. Mm-hmm. We're building empathy with others, and I really liked this point that I read about, which was we are because you're looking at somebody else's point of view in order to try to understand how their strategy is going to work against yours, you are putting yourselves in their shoes, and you're on a regular basis engaging in a sense of empathy. It's empathy towards a selfish goal, but it's still empathy. Yeah, I, I, I like that, but I, it's also one of those things where... Um in normal in like everyday interactions social interactions some people think that they're good at that but they're not how do you mean so uh in in a game scenario right let's assume you and i are playing a game i have a lot of assumptions about what you're doing and what you're going to do and why you did what you did true and that is way more acceptable whether you're right or you're wrong in the in a game, in the middle of a game. I think that in real life, there, when that happens, that is not the same. That you can have judgmental family members or friends or mm-hmm. coworkers, right? You can have people that assume that you do things for one reason or another and treat you accordingly, and it doesn't, it doesn't turn out the same way. That is, it's not as beneficial as it is in a, in a gameplay scenario. So is it fair to say that um, in order to do something well, you have to practice it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my my only argument here would be, okay, yeah, the game limits us in, in that way. But it does, like if you think of a child who's trying to first learn how to interact with others and build their social skills through the, the guise of the game, basically that little microcosm of experience putting myself in someone else's shoes, seeing it from a different perspective so I can at least understand their strategy enough to beat them, may be good practice for later on understanding both friends and enemies in life. Is that fair? I don't disagree. I don't disagree with that. And I, I think I think that learning to empathize with other people is is great. But I think that there is... 
I guess I, I don't know. I think we've we've hit a nerve here. I'm sorry. Let me see. <laughs> but the, yeah, yeah. There's there's definitely something about this idea. Like there are people who say that they're, they're very empathic. Sure. Right? And, and and they're really not. They're full of shit. Right. <laughs> and and that is something that is way more common than I think uh, we generally talk about or see. You know. There are there are people who run around the world assuming that everything works in a certain way or that or that people are a certain way and they do things in a, in a certain way, like and you can tell them why they're wrong and they'll still believe that you're wrong, <laughs> you know. Um, so it's a kind of blindsided empathy that they're that you're talking about here, where it's like, I got empathy, yes, I do, um, but it it's not it it's fake. It's almost like I'm trying to convince myself. That yeah. I have empathy when I really don't have, you know, I don't have the ability to put myself in other people's shoes, but I pride myself on that. Well, I, I think that what I'm, what I'm getting at is that I like the comparison of empathizing with other people, looking at it through the lens of putting yourself in, other, in another person's shoes in a game. I like that. I like mm-hmm. it a lot. But the truth is <laughs> that in the game, you're probably and you, you may be wrong a lot. And, and that that is also a parallel to what happens in real life that people like you, you may not you're not really being empathic necessarily. You're being you're trying to be a mind reader and trying to read somebody's mind is different than putting yourself in their shoes. And I think that both of those things happen in games. But I still like the comparison. I I do, I like that a lot. I can, I can think of games where I would I would love to put two people together and make that that exact point that hey, you are both experiencing something very similar from your own perspective. So you're having unique, distinct experiences, but you're both trying to understand what it might be like for the other person. And I think that with uh, guided you know with a guide there with 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 a counselor there that could lead or a mediator or anybody i think that could lead to a lot of insight i, like yeah, I was it. just going to come yeah. to this idea that there there needs to be kind of a meta structure over your experience in the game mm-hmm. which is number one to have someone who kind of sees it uh from an outside perspective maybe there's still a a, a willing participant of the game but they're looking at it from a different point of view and trying to facilitate that discussion between two people or to highlight the what's going on within the game in some way as to extrapolate it to the real world. And then the other yeah. piece, and I, I tell you I've tried to do this and it's not always easy to do, but the other piece is to have a discussion after the game, a debriefing session in which you talk about the difference in perception versus reality or the ways that the game played out for you versus the ways that the game's played out for them. So that you're not creating a situation of somebody walking away thinking, oh yes, I just developed empathy by playing Tricarion. Instead, you're you're getting something where you're saying, oh, well, no, you missed this about me because this is actually what I was working on. Yeah, yeah. And that, that sort of feedback loop. So what I guess what we're saying is there needs to be a feedback loop in order to get the most out of it as an empathy-building tool some way of having people debrief with one another or talk about the experience of the game. But I tell you at conventions, what happens is people put the game up and go to the next game. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's it's you know it's just another bag of chips where it's like I have the chip in my hand and the chip in my mouth, but I need the bag of chips that's over there. <laughs> I mean, we, we've talked about this in the past, right? Like the ideal um, gaming therapy session would be like an hour of game and an hour of debrief, you know, something like that. And the the, the best type of gaming experience is you you play the game and then you you have that debrief session. I mean, we've been we've been chatting uh, about Star Trek Discovery, right? We watched the episode and then we have these deep conversations afterwards on, 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 on the discord. And yeah, that completely changes the episode for me because it does make me see things that I didn't see before. It makes me, um, uh, question maybe some of the things that I took as, as fact before. And it, mm-hmm. it completely, it makes the whole experience better. I, f- I enjoy the material more and plus we get to connect and learn more about each other. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a, a big part of it for me too. You know, it, it's not when I think about Star Trek or any other media that I'm in love with, it's not just the experience of the media that makes the difference. It's the interaction regarding the media afterwards that makes the yeah. difference because here's this mythology that I've put out there that's going to be meaningful for my life and there are ways to see it that I haven't seen it yet. So the discussion part is is very important to the whole process yeah. and it doesn't just happen in the game, I think is fair to say. It doesn't yeah. just happen in the movie. You can't. You can be sitting next to your dad and say, hey, "Did you see that?" or you know something like that. But you're not going to have a very serious discussion about whether or not Thanos did the right thing. Yeah. At that point, it's not going to come until afterwards. <laughs> yeah. So I I kind of bounced around there, but um, getting back to the social skills, and I think this all plays into what we're talking about. But the the other things that are are very clear that board games do as social skills. It builds conflict resolution because you have to deal with the conflict that's going on at the table. It teaches children turn-taking mm-hmm. and how to share. It teaches listening skills because, you I mean, even if you're not talking, the action on the board is still a listening process. You're still attending to something and, and changing your plays based on what you're seeing in other people. No. And if the phone comes out, by God, I know you're not listening to the game anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Once that happens, I, I get so frustrated with it. Um, I know you're not listening to the game anymore, and I know that you're not fully engaged in the activity that I'm engaged in. Yep. But it also increases negotiating skills, learning to apologize to one another, learning to encourage each other, um, your thinking skills, your perseverance. All these different skills are built at the table, and I'm sure we can say all these skills can be built within a video game modality too. I think there's something about the the repetition of uh or the the ease of being able to repeat the experience with the video game that is very mm-hmm. that is I, I believe is an advantage. Um whereas we can we can do the thing over and over and over again, you know, and and not have to reset the the whole board, not have to decide who cleans up, not have to find missing pieces, not have to do things like that, right? Like we, we failed and we can go right back in. We can immediately talk about how we can do it better or or just, I don't know, you know, in terms of, of, of repeating the experience and practicing, I think the video games have an advantage in that area. And, but in general, I think, I think that all the same things apply. I, I mean, I'm willing, I'm willing to have conversations and and see and and look at research and 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 everything regarding being in the same place 
but I don't mm-hmm. think that the advantages of being of sharing a physical space are are that much, are that, you know, are that much greater than playing in a digital space. In particular, if there's a degree of discomfort that comes from the the proximity of being in a physical location. For example, uh, you know, it could be it could be literally like be just the the being close to someone physically, but it could also be mm-hmm. the noise levels, you know? I have much mm-hmm. more control over, over how I play a game. Many times I play games and I'm, I practically mute the game, so it's not distracting to the conversation. I can control the volume independently, and I have much more control over my my own environment uh, for the game, which allows me to both be more comfortable in the game and be more present for the other people that are there. That's something that's completely out of my control, and even I've had the experience of uh, being overwhelmed at a gaming convention, just like, like, you know, like it's a lot. (laughs) And, and those are, those are all things that I think play into the, the, the social experience. So, you know, I don't necessarily think that one is better than the other, but I think they, there are advantages to, to video games um, that, that just the, the tabletop games just can't have. Now there is there's a cool factor of tabletop games, right? That that video games can't have. The idea that you can amass all of these little pieces and you're collecting things <laughs> and, and you know, staring somebody in the face, you know, when, when a certain uh move is happening and things like that. I think they're unique um they they both have things that set them apart. But in terms of the better social experience, I don't think I don't think that either one has a clear advantage over the other in terms of how you can connect over something and how you can learn about each other and how you can have a meaningful uh, ex- in- interaction between two people or a group of people. So the reason I was willing to to bring up this difference, this, and I, I think you're right. I think I think there's a lot of things you can do in video games that uh, you can do in board games that are n- no different than one another. Um, and I think your to your point about cleanup and preparation for games, those are things that are totally extraneous to the game experience itself. And uh, obviously, with you know any of our console systems, you just pop it in and play. You don't have to do all that setup, or the setup is actually taken care of for by the by the the processor itself because mm-hmm. you know. In that 30 seconds it takes to load the game, every piece is put in place where it needs to be. Whereas with a board game, you have to spend a lot of time yeah. setting up. I mean, if yeah. you look at Kanban, that was a lot of setup time. <laughs> but the reason that I was willing to bring this this discussion point up is because when I look at the, you know, if there's a body of literature that is focused on uh, the the benefits of tabletop board gaming, inevitably I'm going to come across something that says, People have finally put down their screens and started looking at one another and talking again. That is the mm-hmm. most common thing I see in any of these articles. That yeah. this this idea that that somehow video games have have pushed us apart, have separated us from each other, have caused us to uh, disconnect from the the natural world in some sense. And so I I knew that you would be the right person to have that discussion with because you've had a lot more experience with identifying the positive aspects of our mm-hmm. video game experience. Yeah. And I think that all these researchers, and I know it goes back some time, people have been using video games as the 
the the devil, the black sheep, or the (laughs) scapegoat, the scapegoat for all of these negative experiences, and not ever looked at it from that you know that positive point of view, which is that video games do provide a place to experience all these these social learning opportunities. Yeah, I mean, listen, for for forever we've had gigantic sporting events and concerts and things like that where you have a whole bunch of people in one place and nobody's interacting nobody's talking to each other nobody knows who the other people are i mean digital experiences can be that way but they can also be way more meaningful and you can connect with somebody with with more ease i think you know a lot of those articles if you look at them they're you know an older generation referring to the next generation you know about yeah. something that they don't like. Video games the, are going to kill these children. Yeah, yeah. A lot of these articles are not. I mean, the other day I was laughing, uh, remembering my mom telling me to move away from the TV because it would hurt my eyes or my brain you. or whatever. And now, like, yeah. And now she won't move. She won't move like two inches without her her phone and her iPad because one screen isn't enough in front of her face. She needs two. And you know, I mean. The research supports that there is no, uh, like it's it's not bad, you know. <laughs> if anything, it's neutral, right? When you compare one thing to to another, the effects and and as far as social interaction, you know, you may want your kids to interact the way you did, but they don't. You know, you mentioned Tumblr right, to me a few don't. times, right? Like Tumblr, Tumblr is a different world. That's not that's not the internet, you know, and that's right. because that generation just simply interacts differently. And, and I don't know, I, you know, research aside, you can't tell me that my, my text interactions or my phone interactions aren't, uh, significant with my mom and my dad and my, my sister. And my, my niece has started texting me. She's seven years old. She has a phone. She texts me every now and then just random stuff and gifs and, and drawings. And she does this thing where she'll, send me a voice message instead of actually writing out the text. And that's, that's, that's what her friends do. That's what they do. You know, that's what younger people do. I, I, I don't do that, but that's what they, how they like to do. And I, I love to get those messages and there's, we're still interacting. We're still sharing experiences and time and information and feelings. And I, I don't, you know, I think it's funny when people try to argue against that. You don't really have to convince me because I I think in terms of uh, phenomenologically, you know, when you inhabit a space together, whether it's virtual or real, you inhabit a space together. There's the experience of it is not that much different. I mean, okay, you're not going to get body language. You're not going to feel tension that might be in the room. But I don't know if I can say that you're not going to feel virtual tension going on between two people or something, you know. Well, that's the thing. Like you can say, okay, well, what is there an equivalent to body language in in digital communication? There absolutely is, right? There's there's a whole culture around using different types of emojis or emoticon mm-hmm. or different types of text, and the more like uh, uh, iMessage I've, I've I've read that is very very popular. iMessage is the the text messaging platform in iPhones, and a lot yes. of people stick with iPhones because iMessage allows you to do so many things that you can't do on other messaging platforms, and it's more elaborate. I can slam a word down. I can keep something hidden. I can do just a million different things and put stickers in, and you know, like 
if if you've ever spoken to a teenager, <laughs> you may have heard mm-hmm. them read into a text message a lot. And maybe sure. you know, a different generation. You're thinking, I mean, you know, maybe, maybe even our, at at our, at our ages, we've done the same thing. You read a message, and you're like, wait a minute, why? What does that mean? You know, and we wouldn't have thought that 20 years ago. We wouldn't have thought, wait, 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 wait. Why did why did they put that comma there? Or why did they yeah. why did they put that word in caps? Or why what does this mean? You know, and I think that that's there. It's it's the equivalent to body language and tone. So the, the, there was a couple of things that kind of stood out to me there, and uh, the the articles I see, you know, talk about how board games, tabletop board games, allow you to have that that sense of watching other people's body language. The one thing that I'm not sure is captured, and you may tell me otherwise, and I'm I'm okay with the argument. The one thing that's not captured is the subtle nuances that come across unconsciously. So when you're when you're writing a text, you're typically I mean, maybe you get to a point where you have such a free flow that there are unconscious expectations that go into the text. But you're not seen as much of the hidden person as when you're in person. That's very interesting. Hmm. Let me, let me think about this So it's a, a question second. of whether or not commas and emoticons and emojis are able to somehow communicate the unconscious things that we're communicating. And that's I, I w- that's a really challenging, completely different discussion. Yeah. That is than- that is a very interesting discussion. Uh my first instinct is that there it it would it would manifest itself differently and that it probably does. Um you can look back at something that you wrote and say, why did I write it that way? Like that's that's true. Um, and, and when you're doing sort of automatic writing, certainly the subconscious comes out in full and you don't, you know, you can go back and read what you wrote before and you'll be like, yeah, oh, did yeah. I really mean that? Yeah. Did I mean to do that that way? Yep. What was I thinking at that moment? So I think, I think that, but uh, the youngie in me is <laughs> 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 like, what, there's, it would be different. I think it would be different. I don't, I don't know how, um, I don't know how equal those two manifestations of unconscious thought would be, but yeah, that's a that's a that's a lengthier conversation to go into. I a think whole you've bunch got a research areas. paper on your. We've got a research paper on our hands yeah, here. <laughs> man, I like that. I like that question a lot. Yeah, but again, again my fir- my first instinct is that I think it, it does manifest itself, although differently. So you're there is especially. I think it depends on how much you put of yourself in there. Because again, speaking as far as different generations, you know, maybe maybe when you write a text, it's just a text, you know? Maybe when your son writes a text, it means much more than that, you know? There's much more energy put into it, and I think it'll reflect that as well. Well, I can certainly say that when my son writes a text, there's probably a lot there that I don't always understand. Um, but now you know what, Josue. Every every sentence you you type to me now, I'm going to look for unconscious impulses. <laughs> look at all my snark and my. <laughs> it's there. I'm going to use that it's word. There. What's that word mean? The subtext is is interesting. Yeah, yeah. I choose my words very carefully. Or maybe I don't. I don't know. <laughs> 
So, so bringing us back to, uh, I, I love the fact that this is tangentially taking Games. us in all these different directions. <laughs> That's one of my favorite things about Rolling for Change. But bringing us back to the to the discussion at hand, how games bring us together. You know, we were kind of tangentially there when we were talking about the difference in, um, you know, whether or not video games can do the same thing as board games in terms of the nonverbal communication that goes across. But getting back to more of the verbal communication. This is something I've kind of realized. So when when we play with uh, our friends, you know, Brian has talked about it many times. They are very verbal at the table. The, the table talk is, uh, the smack talk at the table is very common and very obvious. And I caught got myself caught between this idea of two different things. One is, are we supposed to be at the table with our kids, with our families, with our friends, Um making sure that we are modeling good positive communication structure or alternatively are we supposed to be modeling how we can have conflictual language and still not be emotionally compromised by it damn okay my fr- my <laughs> that first that was the question that came to me my first thought is that well, the first thought I had was that shouldn't you always be modeling, right? Like good behavior for your kids. But I guess both examples are are, are good behavior. But my the, the biggest thought that stood out to me was I think in many ways like we speak a different language than our kids do. And yeah. In terms of verbal language, right? The words that you choose and how you, you choose to say them, I think I think, you know, again you and your son speak English, but I think you speak different languages, especially in different social situations. So as far as verbally, I think there's a, it's, it's complicated, but behavior wise, like just general behavior wise, I think, I think you're modeling both (laughs) at different times. Um, But again, in terms of verbal, I think it's, Oh man, I think that's really hard because yeah, it's, Language, man, that's a whole other that's a whole other topic. <laughs> it's a both and moment. And yeah, I'd had yeah. that realization when I was thinking about it because I was thinking about, okay, so is it bad for us to be talking smack in a game? And I thought about this because we were playing games last night. It was our chance to is our family night and I, I got to choose what we did. So we played three games and uh in one of the games it was a cooperative game. We played a choose your own adventure game, um that's just come out recently. It's it's just based on the old choose your own adventure books. Um, and there was a lot of communication between us about what we're going to do next and how we're going to decide to do it and that kind of thing. And there were moments at which uh, opinions varied about what we should do. <laughs> and inevitably, some kind of minimal conflict arised as a result of that or, or arose. Um, and I, I began to wonder, does this actually have an impact on how we, this little one little microcosmic moment of conflict between us does it have an impact on the future in this moment and that was when i came to the idea of well yeah we cussed but and yeah we had conflict but we showed how to handle the conflict in a safe way as opposed to throwing things around beating our fists on the table yelling it you know we we did it in a a socially acceptable way and so that was when i started realizing okay maybe this thing about modeling appropriate social behavior is bigger than just changing our talk to nice Pollyanna talk with one another. Yeah. I think, I think that, um, what were the words I wanted to use? Um, I think that the, 
I think that as a, a parent or a role model in general, I think that every moment of your life is a moment like that where you where it could go either way, whether your experience can be taken as a as a as an example for, you know, or or against how to do something. And mm -hmm. the dynamics of that are <laughs> are also a topic for for another day. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I think that's yeah, I think every, every moment is is like teachable. Um but I'm also thinking about competition. That's so a t-shirt. I think, I think <laughs> every moment is a teachable so, moment. Yeah, yeah. Uh but I think that also not only like how to handle the conflict, but I think just the in broader strokes, like higher level ideas like the idea of competition. Like hey, we're all competing here, but we're still family, we're still friends, we still love each other and it doesn't actually mean that we're in competition in our real lives or for for other aspects this is this is an isolated thing and i think that's a that's a big lesson and maybe the lesson of <clears throat> of having a uh, good uh not necessarily conflict re resolution but conflict management in a game like maybe the the broader and and higher level lesson is that one one could be uh hey this this experience um, right now may define future experiences or the opportunity for future experiences. So like if, if we don't handle this game well now, we're, we're not going to do this again or other people aren't going to want to do this again because, because either you or I cannot handle these situations. So nobody's going to want to play with us and we want to play again. You know, like that's, that's one possible lesson, but yeah, I, I think it's contextual. It depends a lot. Like one thing that I think you and I, uh, can't help but do is take that experience from a game from last night and bring it up three weeks from now in a completely different context and compare the two and try to, you know, make a lesson out of it. Yeah. That's what we I do. I think it's in our blood. <laughs> <laughs> so, there... there what rolling for change has done for me on a regular basis is it opens a whole nother can of worms, you know, there's a whole other set of directions to go in. And I, I think we've generated quite a few here this time. Um, and, and I almost hate to, to call an end to the discussion because I think that there's some really good things that we've turned out, but um, we are, you know, we are getting to, to the end of the podcast and I wanted to see if we could both kind of, summarize or identify if there's anything that uh, this discussion has brought to us that uh, is going to impact us in the future, either the show or us or whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, I want everybody to know that uh, we have a Slack that we use to discuss ideas and schedule and, and plan. And lately you've been posting lots of uh, episode ideas, a lot of them, yeah. I think more than ever yeah. before. And <laughs> yeah, it's just coming. Yeah, and I believe that once you once you start editing this episode, you're gonna start adding a whole bunch more <laughs> episode ideas. <laughs> like not right now. Like we're refreshing the moment. You know, sure. you won't remember. You're gonna go do something else. Probably have lunch. But once you start editing it, you're gonna stop and jump in that Slack a whole bunch of times. I can I can see it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but uh, there were moments during this conversation, which usually happens uh, when we when we record this show, where I. I do make those connections. I'm, I'm, uh, I talked about my relationship with my grandfather and I, I didn't realize how similar it is to my relationship with my father. 
And I I do value the relationship I had with my grandfather and how we connected and mm-hmm. and the importance of, of games in, in our lives and in, in my life in particular, right? Like games are are huge for me. And and I I don't know, I I love these conversations that we have. There were there were moments when you asked me questions that really stumped me that I really had to think about. And I think I think I I came into this episode knowing that games can bring people together, but Mm -hmm. I didn't expect the conversation to go into how I don't necessarily think that they're the best way to, to come Mm -hmm. together and that there are, but that we can that we can be very strategic in how we do this depending on the people that we're with like that idea of you like i also have two sisters and mm-hmm. uh, i don't see them very often and i could never imagine getting both of them together to play a game one of them <laughs> yes not both of them <laughs> yeah um but I, i'm trying to think of what kind of activity could we have that would be different maybe maybe we don't need that because we could just talk about whatever it would eventually get nasty if we give if you gave us enough time um, okay it's like what game what what role could games play in that and and something that i didn't mention but was in the back of my mind was that um again i was born in puerto rico i was raised in puerto rico and something that was has always been really interesting to me is that is that the the culture around the games that i mentioned before like dominoes for example and that you can go to the pharmacy, you can go to the Walgreens, and they're selling domino tables because it's very common for people to have a domino table in their car. And I wonder if, I don't really think that people get together to play dominoes. It's more like we have a social interaction and at some point somebody feels the need to bring a game out because maybe we don't know how to navigate the the, the social um, conversations or dynamics well enough and it is kind of like a crutch and i don't know i I hadn't thought about about that very deeply before i i I always just think of games bringing people together and being very positive and again i didn't expect this conversation to have me doubting that in multiple ways (laughs) (laughs) like oh yeah like i always thought it was cool people had a domino table in the in the the back of their their car but now uh, now I'm concerned about that. <laughs> I haven't come to any conclusions. Those are just the thoughts that are in my head and uh, that will stay there for, for a while, definitely. Well, I almost think it, it's an amazing thing that people have a domino table in their car because it means they're looking for that interaction. And even if that's a minimal interaction, you know, we're not talking about the state of global climate change or, or you know, we're not talking about the the problems of the homeless in the world, you know, maybe the big important conversations, but we're connecting with people, you know, or you we're see avoiding a conversation. Where, oh, that could be. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So I guess we can see these things as tools towards successful navigation of social relationships and also closing down social relationships. And I think being so pro on the game side of building social relationships, I don't always pay attention to that negative side, which is that the avoidance piece which I think you probably have to pay more attention to because you're dealing with critiques of video games on a regular basis that talk about video games as being a tool for avoidance. Yeah. So it comes yeah. down to what's our attitude when we come to the table. And if anything... Which which is actually, I just want to stop, which is a great point um, because 
that is an argument that is so common. And yet, I, I think that most tabletop games require so much more focus and attention that it's impossible to actually have um, meaningful conversations <laughs> while you're playing them. <laughs> that's a very general statement. We could go on a game by game basis, but that's yeah. I think that's, that's my what position. It comes down to it depends, it depends on the game. It depends on the game. As to whether or not it mediates you in a positive way towards one another that builds your relationship versus a game that doesn't do anything to build your relationship. I don't think many games are going to work towards tearing down your relationship, but probably some of those competitive games. I mean, I, I can remember very bad situations in board games <laughs> with people. But um, but my point is is referring to the the ability to connect like to, to use it as a backdrop, like we talked to, like yeah. we said before, and I think I think it's easier to to use a, a video game as a backdrop than a than a tabletop game, which is ironic considering the arguments. We might have to have that argument further sometime because now I'm going to be very aware of and watch the social interaction in board games a little closer. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it also depends. Like again, my grandfather was very serious about the game, but you could also play a game very casually, and it doesn't matter. You know, whether yeah. you win or lose or how you're playing. and uh, Yeah, so it is the attitude you come to the table or you come to the joystick with, you know. It, more than anything, the game can be a tool towards connection or not connection, but then the attitude that you bring to the game is also something that needs to play a part in our discussion of it. Um, and I think that's what this has brought home for, for me, is just this idea that, you know, it's it's one of the, the, one of the primary things that you have said throughout rolling for change and I can point to it on almost every episode is it's contextual. So we're not we're not getting any sturdy foundational ideas about games except to learn that it's the context with which we bring to the media that we engage with. That's the, that's the number one critical argument that uh, I bring to every single research article about video games or even board games it's that you have to look at each game individually and you have to look at who is playing it because in the in the especially in the case of, of video games this is easier to do but the same applies for table uh, tabletop games you can have different difficulty levels which change the level of frustration you can have different um i don't know gamer profiles right people who are very comfortable with games people who are not people who are knowledgeable in the game people who are not and all of those factors affect the results that these articles are are referring to like if we know the game really well yeah maybe we can have a casual conversation over and uses that use it as a backdrop not not yeah. the first three hours because we're setting it up and learning it you know yeah. so all of that stuff yeah i mean if, if i say it's contextual every episode it's because it's true <laughs> <laughs> and and but it's and, important to kind yeah, of underline that absolutely yeah every time you see any sort of research or any any thought piece or anything related to games every game is different and who is playing that game at that moment that whole group every time that a different group of people is is there i think the rules change you know it's it's a different experience and should be looked at individually yeah, I'm a good postmodernist where I can see, you know, that the meanings of the things that we have in front of us are not necessarily the meanings of the things we have in front of us. There's a whole world of factors that play a play a part in our our experiences. Like I think about the fact that you're colorblind all the time. I'm like, Damn, what would this game be like for for Woody? You know, like that's something that I, I never think about. 
but it's it's something that Games will come to create play. Create empathy. If, if you and I are playing a game. Hostway <laughs> <laughs> feels me now. He understands. Empathy. Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I've really enjoyed our discussion, and I, I look forward to uh, the next one. I, I do want to quickly talk about the next one because yeah. this this episode is part one of two in 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 some sense. So this one, this episode is about how brings games bring us together. The next episode is how games impact or bring more intimacy to couples or relationships and what role can games play either do games you know do they bring that to us do they make it more easy for that to happen um do they have an impact on direct intimate relationships and and there's uh, lots of reasons that I, I came to that one, but it just kind of seemed to coincide with this one right side by side, and it seemed perfect to be happening in February, even though maybe people won't hear this till March. Uh, <laughs> it seemed perfect for that because it's kind of it's a little bit Valentine's Day oriented this time, and it's a lot Valentine's Day oriented next time. <laughs> yeah, that's gonna be a good one. I'm actually scared of it. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> the next piece, the next piece is that I have this this uh, future plan to Twitch stream some games, and I know it's going to happen before June first. But June first this year is International Tabletop Day. Yes, and so we will definitely be having a gathering and Twitch streaming games all day that day to uh, to call attention to International Tabletop Day. It's probably one of the few days that is a a holiday for board gamers. I I love that it exists, and I thank Will Wheaton for all of his efforts in building uh, that community. But uh, I just wanted everyone who's listening to know that you can interact with us that way coming up, and you can interact with us right now by coming and talking to us on Discord, by replying to us in our Geek Therapy forums, and by writing us at gamers at rollingforchange.com. We want you guys to be a part of the the discussion because even though we can develop some really strong and amazing discussions and and get deeper into the meaning behind all of these pieces that we present, your voice is needed in our discussion. And so contacting us, reaching out to us is is very much appreciated. We want you to help build content content. We want you to be uh, engaged in what we're talking about. So I bring up next episode so that you guys, when you hear this episode, you can send us ideas that you have about the next episode, which is talking about intimacy and gaming. So please, please join us. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, yeah. finally, just looking forward to some possibility of us getting out to conventions, maybe at least two this year, so that we can uh, do live shows for those people who are interested in such such enterprises so yay <laughs> yeah and uh, i think i think i think what we can do is we can you know also ask in those spaces for you know before the episode we before we even record the episode ask questions too so i mean if you want to if you want to get into those places uh now uh the twitch channel is twitch.tv slash geek therapy the discord is geektherapy.com slash discord and we have a a tabletop we have a gt network channel and we also have the the tabletop uh, gaming channel 
and we can i mean if 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 we need it we can make a rolling for change channel specifically that's that's not a problem and the what else? oh and the gt forum is at forum.geektherapy.com and you can comment on every single episode there and you can check out other geek therapy episodes so yeah fantastic stuff all right well thank you Josue, so much for for talking to me about this very important topic at least it's it's got it's 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 really important to me <laughs> and hopefully it's important to a lot of other people hopefully we've opened some people some to some new ways of thinking and uh we walk away changed also looking for unconscious turnings in people's texts and messages <laughs> <laughs> i knew hostway didn't like me look at where he put that exclamation point just All look right. back at everything i've ever written to you you'll know exactly how i feel <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, folks. Thanks, Josue. Everyone, uh, keep on rolling for change. I know I will. You have been listening to Rolling for Change, Episode 26, The Social Aspects of Gaming. Rolling for Change is a proud member of the Geek Therapy Network, a home for podcasts about geek culture and the deeper impacts of our favorite media and hobbies. To find more amazing podcasts or to interact with us, go check out geektherapy.com. There you can join our forums to discuss our episodes or explore the other podcasts. You can email us at gamers at rollingforchange.com. Finally, our fantastic theme song is provided by Rocket Scientists. To find out more about their amazing brand of progressive rock, visit bandcamp.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and keep on rolling for change.